Not sure if you know very many uh, mission statements. I don't know if you're that kind of person that, that wants to read the mission statement of an organization or a very successful business, but they've all got them. Facebook's mission statement is bringing the world closer together. I mean, if that's the case, I'm not sure that they should keep their comments section open, but according to Facebook, they bring the world closer together. Ted, famous for TED Talks, right? Poignant, brief, kind of revolutionary talks. Um, their mission is spreading ideas. The Canadian Red Cross, right? The tagline is, it's in you to give, but their mission is to improve the lives of vulnerable people by mobilizing the power of humanity in Canada and around the world. A mission statement describes the reason why an organization exists. It describes the reason it exists. And for that reason, it's critical that churches have a mission statement, not to be like businesses or profitable organizations, but so that we can be crystal clear about why it is we exist. And so at Central, we have one. We, we take it from Jesus. We take our cue from Jesus. His instruction in the Great Commission was go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you. So that's Jesus' call to his church, to his followers. And so we've taken that call from Jesus, that reason for existing, and we phrase it this way at Central. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus who lead others to follow him. Now, I'm going to use this word this morning quite a bit, disciple. And every time you hear that, I just want you to recognize that all it means is learner or student. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a student of Jesus, to be one who learns from him. And what we see in the Great Commission and Jesus' call to the church, what we coin as our mission statement, our reason for existing is this. We exist to be the kind of disciples who make disciples. That is who we are. And the question I want to pose to you this morning is this. Is the mission of Jesus for his church the mission of your life as well? Now, most of us usually think it's only those really type A people that have their own personal mission statements. And God bless them for that, right? That is, that is, that is being very focused and intentional. But, but I, I believe that every single one of us need to be that guy, <laughs> Right? We need to be the kinds of people who have a laser-focused mission, a reason for why we exist. See, the church's mission statement isn't the mission statement of this building or the agricultural hall that we rent in Agassiz for our Agassiz campus or Promontory Heights Elementary School, which is launching, we're launching our Promontory campus in this morning. It's, it's not the mission statement of those buildings. It's the mission statement of the collection of people that gather in those places, person after person after person saying, I exist to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. That's, that, that, when everybody coming in has that focus of their lives, that becomes the focus of our church. And to be honest, that is the only credibility we have to even have the right to exist as a church if we are about what Jesus is about. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is the very first book in the, the New Testament. It's like, 
good three quarters of the way into the Bible. Matthew is the gospel. And we're in chapter four, big number. We're going to start uh, verse 18, little number. If you uh, have an app, feel free to uh, open it to there. We even have Bibles in, in other places. You can pick one up. If you don't own one, take it home with you. It's yours. Um, unless it's got someone else's name in it in gold or something, that's not yours. But we have central Bibles. Take it. Take it and go. Here's what it says in Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. What an amazing little text. Jesus is walking by the shore of Galilee, comes across a couple brothers and says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop what they're doing and follow he goes to a couple more, says the same thing. They drop what they're doing. <laughs> they, they just say, bye, dad. And they just take off with Jesus. I want us to see that this is what disciples do. So two very straightforward points this morning. Disciples follow Jesus, for starters. And secondly, disciples help others follow Jesus. Okay? Disciples follow Jesus. And second, disciples help Others follow Jesus. Let's get really, really basic here. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, what does that entail? Well, we need to be really clear about what Jesus is saying. He says something. He says, follow me. So I want us to focus in on who the call to follow is. Who are we called to be disciples of? Yes, it's Jesus. But what does that mean? Look, when Jesus comes across and says, follow me, He's calling them to follow the Jesus who turned water into wine, like that Jesus. So if Jesus comes along and invites you to follow him and Jesus turns water into wine at parties, that's maybe part of the reason you'd be like, yeah, okay. Because it's that Jesus. It's the same Jesus who gave sight to blind men, like blind, cannot see, Jesus gives them sight to the lame, to the crippled person, the person who cannot walk, who hasn't walked from birth. This Jesus came along and said, get up, grab your mat while you get up too. And for the first time in their lives, legs formed, moving, muscles growing that never existed and standing for the first time. It's that Jesus. And those are, those are amazing miracles, but they're always just pictures of, of, of something even greater than the miracle. Like we're all spiritually blind in this world. And Jesus comes along and says, let me, let me give you sight. Let me help you see me and the world and God's love for you and how this all actually is. Let me show it to you for the first time to people who with our own two legs could never get ourselves to heaven. He says, let me help you walk. This is the Jesus who's saying, follow me. 
This is the Jesus who died on a criminal's cross, though he was innocent. And when I say innocent, I don't mean he was wrongfully charged of something and went to the cross. I mean innocent. I mean blameless, totally pure. No one before him, no one after him has been like Jesus. He was spotless. He followed God's law meticulously. No one else has done that. And though he was perfect, he died a criminal's death on a cross. And yet this was the plan of God all along. See, for God to make everything right in the world, he's got to deal with all the wrong in the world, right? Has to. And that falls on us. Every wrong of ours needs to be dealt with by a holy God. Otherwise, how can we get heaven? How can imperfect people go to a perfect place? We'd all screw it up. I know I would. So what God did in his mercy was send his son willingly to die on a cross, innocent as he was, and in our place, he paid the penalty for all of our sin so that we could go scot-free as he bore the wrath. That's the Jesus we're talking about who comes along and says, follow me. This is what Jesus is not. He's not simply a good man, a great moral teacher, He isn't one of many gods and faiths to equally consider. Jesus isn't someone that we can come across and say, hey, that's great for you. It's it's not my thing. See, because Jesus came declaring that he was the son of God sent by the father as the grand redemptive plan for all humanity. This was the way for all. Jesus declared, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light. No one comes to the father, but by me. That's quite the declaration. And the invitation made is to follow this Jesus. The Jesus of his own words. The Jesus as recorded in scripture. C.S. Lewis helped us a lot when he, he, he said, you can only put Jesus into one of three categories. You can do nothing else with him. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Because Jesus said some stuff about himself that we have to deal with. We can't say he's just a good moral teacher because Jesus didn't come that way. He said, I'm the son of God. And through me, you can get eternity. Through me, your sins can be dealt with. We can't categorize him as anything else. So we either have to say Jesus lied or we have to say Jesus was out of his mind or we have to say Jesus is Lord. But what we cannot do is call him something that he never called himself. We take him at his word or we categorize him as a liar or someone who was literally crazy. So when Jesus says, follow me, I'm trying to give you a taste of the Jesus that we're invited to follow. Kind of the second sub point here will be that we are to follow with abandon. So if we are mesmerized by that Jesus, we get it. We say, wow, that's astounding. I'm intrigued. Okay, but here's where it starts to get gritty. We're to follow with abandon. I I use this word for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is in the verse preceding our text this morning, verse 17, it says that Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus is declaring uh, uh, the message of the gospel, but he's saying, repent, repent. This word repent means to have remorse over a way of life and to have a change of self, of heart and mind that abandons former waves and turns towards a new life. To repent is to say, I can't keep going down this track. I've got to turn towards this new track. To repent is to really turn from old habits and ways that lead to death and embrace new habits and ways that lead to life. 
This word repent literally means to abandon. To abandon old ways. So when Jesus comes along and says, follow me, we're actually abandoning some things in order to turn from one way and go another. I mean, look at these disciples. Verse 20, immediately after Jesus says, follow me, immediately they left, left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Left nets, left boats, left dad, right? Think of dad, think of family, safety. Think of the nets and the boats. We're talking about security, vocation. These guys were willing to drop it all to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not always saying that you need to abandon your family and your jobs to follow after Christ. That's not the call this morning. And yet, here's what's going on. See, boats, nets, Father, those are good things. They're not bad things. They're good things, but they need to be seen in their proper place. They're right here. And they may have been supreme to these young men at that time, but Jesus comes along and invites them to follow him. And wow, like that just outshines, outdoes. It's the highest aim now, the, the most clearest, the clearest focus in their lives, a new, greater, higher priority over everything. When I was a teenager, I really wanted a discman. Um, the Discman came after the Walkman and, um, the Walkman was actually a better invention because you, you clip the Discman on or you have a pocket that fits that, uh, and a disc is vertically spinning and with every step you take, it skips. So at least the Discman, yeah, like, or the Walkman would kind of keep working, but I, I wanted one of these so badly and I decided I'm going to sell everything I've got. And so I was looking through my stuff. I'm like 13 or so. I'm just looking through my stuff. I'm selling stuff. Do you want this? $2, five bucks. Here, take this. Like all these possessions, my beanbag chair, which I loved when I was like nine. I'm selling for like a, a nickel. Like I, I need this discman, right? And so that was my focus. Jesus tells a parable that's the same. He talks about this man who's, who's digging in a field that's not his. And he comes across this treasure in the ground and he sees it and he's astounded. He's like, this is amazing. And he drops everything. He goes back and sells everything of his so that he can buy the field that possesses the treasure because he's found something that surpassed. Look, before he found the treasure in the field that day, he loved all his stuff and everything that was his. But when he found something that was greater, hidden in a field, a treasure beyond price, beyond imagine, that he could possess, everything else fell by the wayside. I'll sell it. I'll get rid of it. That's what these young disciples are doing with Jesus. Yeah, they've got nets. They've got boats. They've got livelihood. They've got family. Jesus comes along and says, follow me. They're like, yeah, okay. They leave those things. I mean, imagine dad, like dad's trying to pull up a net with fish in it. And he's like, hey, son, help me out with this. And he looks and they're just gone. It's like they left their boat and their dad. They're just gone. And he's, Zebedee is just like trying to pull this thing in by himself. He's like, how are we going to live? He's like, I don't know, but Jesus said to follow. So here I go. Like that's what's going on. Jesus is the greater treasure. So look, that's the first piece of this. Follow me. It's an invitation to be something. It's a disciple of Jesus. But then there's, there's, there's another line in here. There's, there's, there's a commission to do something. To fish for men. To stop fishing for the fish and fish for the souls of humanity. So be my disciple and do something. Fish. So here's the second part. Disciples help others follow Jesus. Verse 19 again. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
these young men have encountered Jesus and in an instant they've gone from um, searching for fish all over a lake to spreading the gospel all over the world. The mission just changed entirely. Everything that they are about went from fishing, searching for fish in a lake to spreading the gospel, the good news about Jesus across the world. One theologian said, it is no longer a question of taking fish from the lake, but of drawing men up out of the abyss of sin and death, catching them in the great net of God. The mission changed for these young men that day. And if you're anything like me, you're going to say, yeah, 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 but okay, how do I help others follow Jesus? Disciples follow Jesus. Okay, I, I think I can grasp a little bit about that. But how do I help others follow Jesus? Well, for starters, let's follow his example that he gives us in this text alone. Let's follow his example. I'll give you three. The first thing is he initiated. So help others follow Jesus. Here's some things we can learn from him. He initiated. He approaches. He invites. Do you see that? Jesus is walking along the shore, comes across these guys and invites them in. He he engages them. He starts to speak to them. He starts to give them invitation. And this is unique because in Judaism of the day, the disciple chose his rabbi. But here Jesus is walking along and inviting them. And they were nobodies. But Jesus is inviting them because he's the great somebody. He initiated, he approaches, he struck up conversation. As disciple-making disciples, as those who help others follow Jesus, we need to initiate those kinds of conversations. Initiate with people. Secondly, he spoke in language they understood. You see that? In this text, he's come across these fishermen, and the very first thing he says to them is, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, he's using language they understand. He's using very common language and something that that works for them. It's like if any of you are in construction working trades, the next time you're swinging a hammer, you can start talking about Jesus and be like, you can start building into people's lives. (laughs) That's free. That one's free. (laughs) Speaking of lunatic, there we go. That's what you'll feel like. Uh, but, but notice that Jesus is taking on language that they'll understand. This is really, really important. Like Jesus didn't lead with walking down the shore and be like, penal substitutionary atonement, atonement, you get it? You in? You believe it? They're like, what are you talking about? Leave us alone, right? Like Jesus doesn't, there's something about the way that Jesus approaches using common language. There's an attraction. There's always an attraction to Jesus. Crowds are drawn to him because there's something compelling it's not, it's, not, it's not condescending or argumentative. It's compelling. It's drawing. It's, it's wooing people in. And it's also understandable. We use the phrase Christianese sometimes to talk about like insider church language. Like, hey, do you want a fellowship with us? And the person's like, fellowship? What do you mean? Like, like come over to your house? Like, what are you talking about? Fe- like, like, and so like, we, we often use like the Christianese language of all the lines, all the lingo. We get it. Other people, it's totally foreign to them. Some neighbors that are good friends of ours, we, we, we used, would have them over and we'd talk about Jesus and what, what prayer is, what it looks like in the Bible and, and a little bit about the Bible and a little bit about Christianity and kind of just what it is. And we were just talking and really like understandable language. And then, and then it kind of turned into a Bible study where more um, like 
Christians who've been Christians for a long time started coming and, and it's, 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 it's like it took over the group and there was kind of like this mature Christian talk that was so insider lingo that eventually my neighbors were like, you know, we're going to stop coming. We don't like, it doesn't make sense anymore. It's like, ah, oh, shoot. Right. Like, because we didn't speak in the language that's understandable. Like this is stuff that's, that's learned and there's an approach and there's a process and we see Jesus approaching people where they are and speaking to them in ways that make sense and understand. Uh, thirdly, he articulated the gospel. Um, the verse after, verse 23, after our text this morning, goes on to say, and he went throughout all Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We fool ourselves sometimes in the church. Like we want to be good neighbors, good friends, good coworkers, good fellow students, all of that. And we think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be super nice and they're going to know. I'm going to be just, I'm going to be super nice. And they're going to be like, you know what? I need to surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ. I'm a sinner just because I smiled a lot. It's not going to happen. Look, those neighbors, they smile so warmly. I think I need to repent of my sin and turn to Jesus Christ as my sin. Like, that's not how it works. We see Jesus here. Yes, compelling, drawing, talking in language that's easily understood. All of those things, initiating, yes. But we see that he goes and he proclaims the gospel. He articulates the message of Jesus. And we are called to do the same. I think we need to stop and get a little bit of perspective here because uh, we, we've talked about a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to help others follow Jesus. But if we kind of talk about some of the undergirding feelings we might have about all of this, we might be thinking to ourselves, listen, to forsake like safety, like dad, forsake comforts, you know, like or, or, or security, like, you know, our livelihood, those kinds of things to have those things kind of up for grabs for Christ to follow a savior who would be crucified in a few short years and to have a savior who knew in advance that as he approached these young men, called them away from family, called them away from security of livelihood, he knew that they too would die. They would be killed for their faith. And he calls these young men away from all of those good things to follow him. Like what kind of a God does that? That is a fair question especially if we see that all that matters in this life and what this life you and I have right now, right here, what it's all about, if it's about comfort, if it's about safety, if it's about building our own kingdom, as if it's about comfort and wealth, all of these things, if that's what our lives are about, then to immediately drop all of those kinds of things to follow Jesus and to be killed for it in a few short years, that is absolute insanity. But what we know of Jesus is that he's giving a very different perspective to these young men and to us. Jesus teaches that the opposite is true. That if you only spend the last few moments of your life, the only, if, if that's all you get, the last few moments of your life to give for the sake of the kingdom and the cause of the gospel, it is a life better used than 80, 90 years of doing nothing for the sake of the kingdom and the spread of the gospel. In the, in the, in the eyes of Jesus, the perspective of God himself to use any amount of time you may have for the cause, his mission in the world is a life better used no matter what happens in it 
than all of the fleeting things that this life has to offer and giving ourselves wholesale over to it. John Piper, in a great book he wrote a number of years ago called Don't Waste Your Life, illustrates this when he writes this. I tell you, I'll tell you what a tragedy is, and it's what none of you and I think is a tragedy. Believe me. But he goes on to tell us what he sees as a tragedy. I will show you how to waste your life, he says. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. I mean, I don't know about you, but that sounds awesome. He goes on to say, at first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Listen, come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment, which is coming for us all. Look, Lord, See my shells? That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. A total reversal of perspective. This is not all there is. Eternity is waiting. How will you spend this has everything to do with what is to come. And to say you follow Jesus, Jesus is is painting the picture here really simply in in four short verses. To follow Jesus means to help others follow Jesus, to surrender our lives, to drop our nets and our boats, to say, bye, dad, see ya, I got to do this thing. To give our lives to that is to follow after Jesus authentically. You and I were made for God and given a mission by God to follow Jesus and lead others to follow him. At this point, right, when we count the cost and consider what true discipleship looks like, a disciple of Jesus follows Jesus, helps others follow Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's not just the uber Christian, super Christians who also help others. No, no, no. That's the meaning of a Christian. All Christians help others to follow Jesus. That is a high calling. If you're anything like me at this point, you will say, I can't possibly do all that. Jesus, I don't know if I have that in me. Like, I don't think I can do that. I'm not articulate. I'm not confident. I'm shy. I... I'm not convinced. I don't know. Listen, if you are saying at this point, I can't possibly do that, that's the point. That's a good place to be. Because here's the final sub point. He makes us into, uh, he makes us into who he calls us to be. Listen to this line. Follow me and what? Follow me and I will, just as Jesus, I will make you fishers of men. So if you're putting up your hand, I can't do that. Help others fall. I don't even get all this yet. 
I will make you, Jesus says, fishers of men. This summer, uh, my family, we were in the Okanagan and we went to this little theme park and uh, the boys, my, my two sons went on these trampolines. They had like bungee cables and harness and stuff. And the, the bungee cables, would, when they jumped on the trampoline, would help them, you know, soar like, you know, 40 feet high, like super high. And my seven-year-old son, Boston, he, he, he could understand the logistics of the bungee and the harness and the trampoline and that this thing was helping him soar in the sky. My five-year-old son, though, who I think actually believes he's a superhero, um, wasn't really understanding the contraptions. So when he started to jump and the bungee was helping him soar up, he, he had this look of astonishment and pride, like, I knew I could fly. I, <laughs> I'm flying. <laughs> And he just assumed that, you know, a normal person on a trampoline would jump this high. He was sore. That's all me. <laughs> I want you to have, and if you, if you will take the plunge into the pool to be the kind of disciple who helps others follow Jesus, I guarantee you, because God's word tells you that you will have that look of my five-year-old son, Walker, that look of astonishment as in the coming days or weeks, you walk away from a conversation saying, what did I just say? Like, I'm not eloquent like that, but God, I, I know you want me to tell others about you and you, the words just float off my tongue. Who was that back there? The look of astonishment that as you're willing to help others follow Jesus, he will afford you the opportunities to do just that and to give you the strength and the ability to be just that in people's lives. This is what, the, this has happened all through scripture. Moses was this muttering fool and he was like, you're telling me to go to the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and say, let my people go. I, I'm the least eloquent person. Why would you ask me to do that? And yet God gave him the words and the ability as he gave himself to faithfulness. Earlier than that, Abraham, he tells Abraham, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna change the world through your descendants. And here's a guy who's pushing a hundred who has no kids. He's like, you are? But God gave him the ability to do just that. The apostle Paul, right, who, who to every non-Jew is really that the greatest missionary the world's ever seen, going out to the Gentile world, non-Jews, proclaiming the gospel, building the church. And he's talking about his weaknesses in 2 Corinthians 12. And Jesus says to him in that moment, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You're weak? that's okay. I'm strong. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying the religious leaders, they're going to come for you. The political leaders, they're going to come for you. But here's what he says in Luke 12 to them. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach in that very hour what you ought to say. Just give yourself to faithfulness. Just give yourself to following. Jesus says, follow me. Okay, I'll follow you. Help others follow me. Okay, I'll help others follow you. And as we do that, he will enable us. Final thought. Jesus, as he approaches these young men, as he approaches each one of us, here's what he doesn't say. Perform. Perform, you. Dance, monkey. <laughs> Jesus isn't doing any of that. The, 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 the Christianity says this, Jesus has already performed on a cross where Jesus could declare it's finished. There's no work left for you to do that merits you a thing. 
from here on out, it's all grace, all mercy, all the love of Christ that compels us to say, you need to know what Jesus did for you. Jesus doesn't say perform. Jesus has performed for us on the cross and through his spirit enables us to do what he calls us to do. Trust him in that. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus who lead others to follow him. I invite you into both of those things, following Jesus and helping others do the same. That is what a Christian is. That is the mission of the Christian. And that is the mission of our church. Just as Jesus approached those young men by the shore, Jesus approaches you and invites you to follow. Like, I mean that just as Jesus went up down the shore and and said to these young men, follow me. Some of you have never responded to that invitation, but it's, it's happening right now. That may feel like a fire in your soul. That might feel like goosebumps on your arms. That might feel just like this compelling woo towards himself. Jesus invites you into his embrace, into his love, into his mercy, into relationship. The God of the universe cares about you, evidenced it through Jesus and says, follow me. And you don't need to perform. You can just whisper a prayer to him now and say, okay, Those disciples on the shore didn't know what was coming next. They didn't know what was in store. They only saw Jesus and that was enough. I want you to consider that this morning. I don't know what all it'll mean for you to follow Jesus, but I want you to hear Jesus invite you this morning and let that be enough for today. Give your life to Christ. And central, just as Jesus called those first disciples to spend their lives for the kingdom, He's calling you to do the same. Some of you have not fully dropped those nets, left that boat, said, bye, dad. (laughs) I got a higher calling. It's time to do that. It's not what the uber Christians do. That's what Christians do. And as you step out in following Jesus, in ministering in the strength he provides, he will, oh, he will meet you there and strengthen your own faith along the way. Central, I love you so much. And that's why I love to share the word of God with you. Tell you what Jesus said. Let it sink into your hearts. Allow you to respond. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to respond in song, in prayer, and then in a bouncy castle kind of way as well. And so... um, If you'd like personal prayer, we're going to have a prayer team in different parts of the room. I'm in the front. Uh, I believe we'll have someone in the balcony. At least we'll have someone in the back and the side. We'd love to pray with you. If you just want to come up and receive prayer, if you said, I I gave my life to Jesus this morning. I, I answered the invitation to follow him. We really, really want to hear that. And if you want prayer about uh, being the kind of disciple of Jesus who makes disciples, we'd love to commission you that way, pray for you. And if there's heavy stuff going on in your life you'd like someone to pray for you for, we'd love to do that. In James 5, it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power because God meets us in our prayers. So we have people around the room, they're wearing lanyards um, and they'd love to pray with you. And as for the rest of us, we'll respond with songs. Would you stand? Let me pray and we'll respond in those ways. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a God who calls, a God who came near, a God who loves to draw us in. Thank you for that invitation. Lord, may we respond. 
this morning. It may even be with fear and trepidation, but help us to respond, not knowing what comes next, but saying, yes, today I want to follow you, Jesus. Help me discover more and more what that means. And Lord, I do pray that you would make us more and more into the kind of church that recognizes that we exist individually and as a church to help others follow Jesus. That is why on a morning like this, we can send 50 adults and 40 kids across the city to promontory and we don't feel like it's a loss. We feel like it's mission. We feel like it's beautiful. We're ecstatic and we're thankful. So Lord, thank you that this morning Central's meeting in three places that has nothing to do with Central being great. It has everything to do with you being great. That you, May all glory go to you. May people encounter Jesus. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen.